This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. Welcome to our Behind the Markets podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Schwartz. Alongside Warren Frank Professor Jeremy Siegel, we tackle the latest market trends every week on Business Radio, powered by the Warren School, Sirius XM, Channel 132. Our guest consists of experts like the world's leading authority on long-term economic growth, Bob Gordon. We will continue to see jobs created rather than destroyed. Former chair of the Federal Reserve, Janet Yellen. I mean, I don't think either of us ever expected that we would live through a financial crisis. Or even the head of the digital industry. Foundation, Arvind Gupta. The reason that people are talking about India is massive digitization and financial inclusion that we have done over the last couple of years. Enjoy this week's show. I'm your host, Jeremy Schwartz, in the studio with Lee Chen Ren, who is the director of Modern Alpha at Wisdom Tree. Our next guest is also joining us live in the studio today. Han Ming Feng is a professor of economics and professor of healthcare management at the University of Pennsylvania. Professor Feng is one of the founders of a company called Vox China, which is described on his website as a bridge on economic issues between China and the world. Professor Feng, welcome to Behind the Markets. Thank you, Jeremy. Great to be with you here. Thanks for coming. Um, so, Li Chen, uh, we talked a little bit about trade issues, China. You know, we've got the, the, the Trump tweets adding to maybe 10% more import tariffs. At the same time, there's a lot of geopolitics happening in Hong Kong and China. There's a lot of protests happening in Hong Kong. Do you have any commentary on what's going on there before we, we, we get Professor Feng involved here? Yeah, I think um, what happens in Hong Kong is that, uh, you know, it was the the opening port for China. Now that China has developed its own port, you know, trade-wise, it has its own financial center, Shanghai, which is up and coming. And Hong Kong's position in the greater China has become um, a, a identity that uh, they have to redefine their ident- identity. And while discussing with Professor of um we we realize you know we mentioned that in Hong Kong the younger generation their wage has not grown in the last 15 years so how to you know politically how Hong Kong responds to this a little bit stagnant um economy is going to be an ongoing issue you know what what the young people in Hong Kong want i think it is for them to answer and it is also for Hong Kong to have to find a way to answer to these questions a lot of things going on you know china is definitely watching very closely uh, it is one place where you know is a special um, the probably the most special place in China. So uh, I, I personally is also watching. I yeah. think. Uh, um, I mean, there's a lot. It'd be interesting. What are these protesters looking for? What are they trying to get solved? There was this extradition treaty that it seems like they backed away from, but now, so like now, to what do they actually want? So is it? It, it goes to this bigger dissatisfaction with the economy, you think, and and needing more support there. Yeah, I think it's definitely, it's, uh, Professor mentioned it's somewhat like, uh, uh, Britain, you know, does Britain want to have a hard Brexit or, you know, Britain wants to enjoy some benefits and still has its own identity? I think Hong Kong is going through, uh, it originally started with this, uh, treaty and the chief executive of Hong Kong, uh, she's, already back down, but now there are still protests. You know, the, it is for the protests to, protesters to, you know, to really articulate, you know, what they want, how they want it. Um, there will be a lot of uh, issues, I think, in the next uh, couple of months. Professor Feng, tell us a little bit about yourself and tell us about Vox China. 
Yes. Um, so I'm a you know as you mentioned I'm a professor of economics at uh, at Penn and also professor of healthcare management at Wharton. So I I'm a broad uh, interested kind of uh, economist in specializing in issues related to public economics. So I, I study issues related to health insurance market, healthcare market, health reform proposals, as well as issues related to the Chinese economy, particularly particularly issues related to the population aging in China, social security issues, healthcare system in China, and so on. So for Vox China, uh, it's an interesting kind of personal entrepreneurial activity. I have to correct you a little bit. It's not a company, okay. and we make sure it's not a company. We were, it's a, it's actually a nonprofit uh, organization uh, aimed as uh, as a bridge uh, to be the bridge for on economic issues for uh, between China and the rest of the world. Right. So the idea started a few years ago when I when I was uh, the acting director of the. Uh, the National Bureau of Economic Research Chinese Working Economic Group, and I organized two conferences a year on Chinese economy. I saw many in the process of organizing these conferences. I I saw many um, interesting, fact-based, uh, rigorous analysis of Chinese economy from many aspects, and I felt like this was a missed opportunity that uh, these very Rigorous research was only being discussed among professional economists. I think I thought many of these facts, that many of these、uh, findings, should be shared more broadly to anybody, in, including investors, including journalists who are interested in discussing、uh, Chinese economy. After all, Chinese economy now is the second largest in the world, and very few people outside of China know Chinese economy very well. Uh, and、um, for some of the、um, uh, issues that we what we thought is known is often actually biased and have、uh, have, some, have some particular viewpoints. And I at that point I thought you know at some point I wanted to、uh, you know start this a website where we make sure that you know it's uh, it's uh, uh, mainly maintained by. Um, uh, academic economists who don't have conflict interest,、mm. and we want to make sure that it's transparent, and it's uh, uh, any potential conflict interest, for example, is disclosed, right? So that、uh, we can have a discussion about Chinese economy, uh, uh, about the relationship between U.S. and China. Are based on facts, not、uh, opinions. So, any any opinion on all that's going on between the U.S. and China today? Like, what's what's your sense of all the news that we're getting? Right. So,、um, I will just probably mention an article that we, the VoxChina dot org website, have、uh, published on this very issue about U.S. China trade relationship. Obviously, it's one of the most important and most uh, um, uh, a topic of great interest to many of our readers. Right. So、um, uh, this was an article about、um, you know the U.S.-China relationship, but ma- mainly from the perspective of、um, you know looking at the statistics in a in a, bro- in, a, in, a, in a in a complete picture, right? So often President Trump or many commentators about U.S.-China trade relationship will focus on the trade ba- trade imbalances, right? Trade imbalances are measuring the differences between exports and imports. But many in in the global economy,、uh, many of the bilateral trade、uh, economic relationship relationship are not necessarily reflected in exports and imports. Take an example of Apple, right? So in 2016, there were 310 million iPhones in operation in China, right? Which generated something like 41 billion dollars of sales for Apple. 
these iPhones were produced and sold in China. And not exports. Not export. Not never meant profits for Apple. The profits for Apple benefits uh, 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 an American company. Profits for Apple, but never showed up in any of the import export yeah. uh, statistics. So there are many great American companies with very sizable Chinese production and Chinese sales in China, while much fewer Chinese companies are doing similar things in the U.S. market. You see, like the car companies, Trump tends to pick up on the car companies and the auto auto tariffs. Like that's one of the things for you know the right. Europeans. So, but there's a lot of the Japanese will be the, some of the biggest U.S. employers because they make them here and then they sell them here. Exactly. So you know, the uh, like great point, right? So automobile company is another example, right? So Ford, GM. The China is already emerging as the largest U.S. Auto, uh, largest automobile comp, uh, market in the world in terms of number of cars sold. And many American companies are doing great business in China, right? Ford and GM being two of the primary examples. Now, we don't see many Chinese cars sold in the yeah. U.S. market, right? Same thing. So the, the, the China-U.S. Tra- uh, economic relationship runs much deeper than what's being reflected in the trade uh, statistics. So when we think about U.S.-China you know, trade imbalance, the article that we posted on Vox China tried to complete this picture, of you know going beyond a little bit more than the trade uh, imbalances and you know look at the complete picture so that when we discuss U.S. China relationship we can understand it's not just about trade there are a lot of in in country domestic you know uh, foreign companies making productions and sales. What's the do you have a sense of the total size of our exports to China and then yeah. the total of the local business right. in so in China? yeah that article also pointed out that once you account for the in-country sales by American companies yeah. produce, you know, production and sales in China. The U.S.-China trade relation, U.S.-China bilateral economic relationship is actually very balanced. If anything, U.S. is a little bit in uh, in the uh, uh, in the uh, uh, surplus. Lead, yeah, side. yeah. So about fifty billion dollars a year, not big surplus, but you know, a uh, 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 surplus in recent years. But just more balanced than uh, the headline figures exactly, relate. Exactly. So that also, I think, would suggest that you know when this trade war or trade disputes uh, uh, you know uh, uh, is prolonged, I think there will be many American companies who will come out and uh, express their views. And you know, on the one hand, I think they want they do want more robust intellectual property uh, protections. But the, on the other hand, they also re- should, will recognize, will emphasize to the demonstration that Chinese market is very important, you know, uh, market for for the uh, for their companies. And uh, you know, Apple, Qualcomm, you can imagine, all these companies are all you know hoping that the trade dispute can be resolved uh, quickly. I'm Jeremy Schwartz. You're listening to Behind the Markets. Li Chen Ren is in here the studio with me. Our guest for this half hour is Hanming Feng. Professor of Healthcare Management at the University of Pennsylvania. Hi, Professor. So um, it is indeed a great website where you know people can go look at you know very fact-based uh, uh, articles. Are there other other research that has featured on your website which you you know you right. can share us? Yeah. So we uh, feature many different uh, topics. Every so the Vox China dot uh, org website uh, will uh, you know it will have uh, one new. On average, at least one uh, new article a week, and the topics range from you know credit, uh, shadow banking in China, trade, bike sharing, population aging, income inequality, any issues that uh, may be of interest to 
to you know uh, observers or uh, students of uh, of the Chinese economy. And I'll give you one example. So, uh, I th- among the topics that we cover uh, in on Vox China, uh, one of the most uh, uh, interesting one is uh, uh, is probably housing market, right? So as uh, as uh, you know, anyone who have gone to China uh, recently, you know that housing wealth is probably um, actually it's a, it's an official statistic that housing wealth accounts for about eighty percent of Chinese household wealth, right? So when we talk about ch- wealthy Chinese families, most of their wealth essentially is in the form of housing. Mm-hmm. Housing prices have appreciated um, in 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 an order of magnitude that's. Um, that's uh, prob- you know that's unimaginable mm-hmm. for American audience, right? So, uh, for example, in Beijing, from 2003 to this year, uh, the housing price went up by about 800 percent, right? So, in about 15-year period, housing mm-hmm. price appreciated by 800 percent, uh, right? So, um, and in Shanghai, probably 600 percent, Shenzhen, 700 percent. All these cities have uh, experienced great housing price uh, appreciation. And that generates many uh, a, a large fraction of the Chinese household wealth, but also it poses many risks, right? Because uh, if you look at the uh, the housing market, a lot of the home buyers are, are leveraged. They, uh, you know, uh, even though China uh, requires uh, quite sizable um, um, down payment, about a minimum of of thirty percent, um, but many households are u- are actually using loans to pay for. Uh, the, the down payment. So you know the le- the the, uh, the real leverage ratio for households is probably a lot higher than what you would have thought. You know if they're worth thirty uh, percent uh, down payment. So these you know uh, hosts uh, some kind of uh, uh, ri- uh, this pro- uh, 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 kind of uh, um, um, presents uh, some uh, important risks for the Chinese economy. Similarly, you know developers borrow a lot of money, high, uh, highly, have highly leveraged. Uh, they borrow a lot of money from banks, so these are also, you know, kind of provide uh, presents risks uh, uh, if housing market were to uh, experience some um, sizable uh, downturn. And uh, recent, uh, you know, uh, policy statements from from China have, uh, for the first time, actually um, uh, mentioned that that you know, housing market will not be a uh, pumping housing housing market will be will not be used. As a short-term policy tool to stabilize the economy. The economy yeah. So in the past, the government has always tried to stimulate the housing market in, in any any time where there's sign there are some signs of weakness in the economy. Yeah. So um. So it, it's it's indeed you know I think uh, that this is kind of official news which actually also tells that you know in the past even though the government does not acknowledge it but they have used the housing market right. uh, to you know a, as a way to grow uh, right. grow the revenue for the local governments as well right. um you mentioned that in china you know household wealth is 80% which is somewhat the opposite in the us financial wealth is uh, close to 70% right. instead of housing um so um, you yourself is you know a health economist, and then you have studied both in in the U.S. and in China about this issue since China is aging faster than mm-hmm. than in the U.S. And what's your main findings there? Right. So, uh, if you some if someone ask were to ask me what are the you know greatest challenges China will be facing in the you know decades to come, population population aging 
what must come to be one of the most important challenges, right? Uh, the, cha- the 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 speed in uh, in, uh, in which China is aging is a result of uh, several factors. One is you know the, um, the family planning policy that was introduced from early 1970s in China. Right, the total fertility rates in China has dropped from something like 6.8 to now close to 1.5. Right, so from uh, and, and 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 so that's uh, that, you know it's not just the the, the one child policy actually even before the one child policy was introduced in 1979 uh in early 1970s the government already started other forms of family family planning policy that resulted in a very rapid decline in total fertility for chinese women the second reason is the rise in life expectancy chinese uh household uh, chinese uh, uh life expectancy has been risen it's still below uh the world's uh, highest uh, you know, life expectancy countries like Japan or Sweden, but it's, 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 uh, uh, life expectancy is rising uh, also very fast. And both of these factors right, kind of led to um, you know, very uh, rapid uh, uh, increase in so-called uh, old age dependency ratio, which is uh, a statistic, it's a ratio that kind of divides the number of people 65 and older by the number of people between age 15 and 64. So it kind of measures, right? For every uh, 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 young worker in the in the population, how many uh, old people? Uh, uh, you know, what's the, what's the uh, number of the people that they need to support? And in China, that ratio is currently about fifteen percent, and it's expected to rise to something like forty-five percent, mm. right? Will triple uh, by twenty fifty. Right, so that means at fifty percent, it's basically saying for every old age Chinese, sixty-five years and older, there are only two working age individuals supporting them. Right, that that will uh, pose huge financial burdens on any social security system. Right, that's why uh, the year three year three little pigs of the the stance <laughs> that, Ch- that Lee Chen right. was showing no, me. No, that's great yeah. observation. Right, yeah. <laughs> so uh, there was actually uh, the the year of pig. Uh, you know, uh, in nineteen um, uh, eighty four. And that stamp was a single pig, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now we got three pigs, so they right. the new stamp. Um, how, how would you know in the in the U.S. debate? You know, the Democratic debates, healthcare is one of the big policy discussions coming. Even the U.S. people always dissatisfied with healthcare and always trying to change healthcare systems. Do you have any t- big picture views on China versus the U.S. healthcare systems and how, or just where what your research is focused on there? Okay, so for the Chinese healthcare system. First, I have to first start off by saying that there has been really amazing progress in terms of uh, basic access to healthcare, right? So um, China uh, was able to provide basic health insurance to 95% of its population, right? So that's quite amazing, right? Um, um, but as I, you know, I emphasize the word basic health insurance. So the health insurance tend to be uh, limited. Uh, the um, uh, the effective access to healthcare is still limited, and there will be there are large disparities between uh, individuals in rural area, in small cities, in poor regions relative to uh, you know the big cities like Beijing, Shanghai, and so on. Right. Yeah. So all the best hospitals, doctors are kind of located in some of the major tier one cities. Right. Um, but um, in addition, the basic health insurance. 
coverage is limited, often it's capped to a certain level. So when you have when someone experiences chronic illness or catastrophic illness, often uh, individuals will be facing uh, significant financial risks. Um, so uh, and, and the second thing I want to point out is that in terms of the percentage of GDP that China spends on healthcare, uh, it's only five percent. In contrast, the number in the U.S. is 18%, right? So that tells you the healthcare sector in China has huge room to grow, right? Uh, and, uh, and, and or I the think U.S. It, has room to shrink. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it will grow. Uh, you know, as, as China gets richer and, and economic research and political evidence from economic research often show that health is a form of superior good, which means that as people get richer, they tend to spend a higher fraction of their income on health, right? So, you know, from 5% to 18%, even if it's not 18%, the world average of GD, uh, healthcare expenditure on GDP is about 10%, right? So even from 5 to 10%, there's lo- huge room for, gro- yeah. uh, for growth. Yeah, just to inject it, is that uh, this is interesting uh, that in, in SMP, there's about 15% uh, healthcare sector. In China, is about 4 or 5%. In Europe, it's about 10%. Uh-huh. Um, so, um, we're in our final sort of few minutes or a few, uh, few moments, Professor Fang. Um, any, you know, as Vox China, uh, any sort of commentary about where what you want people to come to look for or any other things to find your research on, on all your work? Right. So, uh, you know, Vox China is, uh, is uh, like I said, you know, uh, is uh, uh, a personally an entrepreneurial activity. I, you know, I had this goal of not just being an academic economist. I want to kind of make sure that uh, academic research are, you know, are kind of shared broadly with, uh, with uh, people in industry, in policy circles, in, journal- in journalism and so on. And the website itself has indeed succeeded in attracting audience, a large number of uh, visits from these circles. But we have some, you know, uh, pl- some additional plans for Vox China. For example, we are planning on policy forums uh, that, uh, that invites industry um, policymakers and academics to share their views on hot-button issues, whether it's, uh, you know, population aging issues in China, the how population aging will affect, for example, financial markets and, uh, and monetary policy, whether it's uh, trade issues between well, U.S. and China, We're looking forward to keeping in touch. Thanks for coming on the radio. I'm Jeremy Schwartz. This is Thanks, Li Chen. Have a great week, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Behind the Markets podcast. If you want to learn more about WisdomTree, visit WisdomTree.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Jeremy D. Schwartz. I'd like to thank Patty Hall for producing our live program on SiriusXM channel 132 and our podcast producer, Daniel Bruno. Join us next week for another edition of the show. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.